Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Premed Year, session number 241. Hello and welcome to the three-time Academy of Podcasters, Academy Award-nominated podcast, The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. And welcome to The Pre-Med Years podcast. If this is your first time here, thank you for joining me. I hope you get a ton of great information out of our session today. Today, we're going to talk to a guest who had to apply to medical school three times. Her first time around, her pre-med advisor said, don't apply. She dismissed him. Her second time around, she applied, did very well getting tons of interviews, but didn't get in. And then this third time finally was accepted to many medical schools you're going to hear her journey and how she became successful, what she learned along the way, and the advice that she has for you so that you don't make the same mistakes. Natalie, welcome to the Pre-Med Years podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Natalie, when did you know you wanted to be a doctor? I can say I remember that when I was graduating from kindergarten, uh, our teachers were announcing what each of us wanted to be. I was five years old, and I remember them announcing, this is Natalie, and she says she wants to be a doctor. So I cannot say I knew since I was five years old because you learn more about the profession as you grow older. So I always had an interest since I was a child. Part of it is because my aunt was a doctor, and I liked being around people, and I liked the idea of helping people. But I could say that once I was in college and I was shadowing physicians and I started volunteering in the emergency rooms near my home, the idea appealed to me even more because I got to connect with people and I got to learn more about the pathology. I got to be more involved. So I really enjoyed that aspect, combining the sciences along with service. That, that really appealed to me. So I could say I had an interest since I was a child but then I realized why I wanted to become a physician because of my experiences during college and after college. I always think that's one of the, the hardest things that students who, like you, have this early interest. Like I've, just, I've always known since I was a kid. So it was great for you to be able to get that experience and be like, okay, now I understand and this is what I really want. Yes. How did you go about... Growing up, and you, you said you had an aunt who's a physician, how did you go about navigating the pre-med process in the environment that you grew up in? And so to, to give the listeners a little bit of background, talk about the, the neighborhood that you grew up in and, and the atmosphere that you grew up in. Well, my parents did their best to provide a, a great environment for my two siblings and I were very different. One didn't graduate from high school. The youngest, uh, 
he's struggled in school, but he's in community college right now. What I can say is that I did not have much academic guidance. So while my parents did their best to provide a safe environment, I could not ask them questions about school. So if I had some issues with some applications, or if I had, let's say, trouble learning a concept in elementary school, middle school, I could not go to my parents because my mother didn't graduate high school. And my father, well, he's in a different area of expertise. But what I recall doing is that if I had some issues with something, I just always did my research. I asked a lot of questions. I sought out mentors and I had to learn to work during in very stressful environments. This is very personal, but uh, when I was young, we had we had one of my cousins living with us and we were both in high school at the same time and he got into some trouble uh, that brought certain people to our home and threatened us. So I had to learn to do well in school in spite of all of that going on uh, and just learn to work under the stress and well, do my work at school and ask the questions of the people that had more knowledge about these things because I could not really get that at home. But honestly, all I can say is that with persistence and then with my faith, knowing how to handle difficult times with a positive attitude, that really helped me. There are a lot of students listening to this who are in a very similar situation, uh, whether it's um, being surrounded by uh, not the best influences or parents who don't have the education to be able to support them, but are supporting them in whatever way they know how. Yes. What did you, or where did you find the motivation to to keep down this path, to keep going? Because we all know now, now that you're in medical school or starting medical school soon, it's a very long journey and takes a lot of discipline and a lot of... Um, just a, a lot of discipline to get there. How did you stay down that path? I would say it was the certainty, me knowing that this was what I wanted to do and that I was willing to work really hard to get to it. I knew that I did not see myself doing anything else. So I thought, whatever it's going to take, as much work as I need to do, I'm willing to put that. I'm willing to give it my all. And in my case, I had to try three times. And I would say that my motivation, of course, came from knowing, well, it's going to take a lot of work, but eventually I will be a physician if I do my absolute best and if I seek the resources I need. So in my case, I thought, Natalie, you will get to where you need, but you need to do this. So I sought the mentors I needed. So I was just very exhaustive. I thought, don't give up. Try every possible resource. Try asking every possible question. What have you not tried? So I would always ask myself, what was missing here? What didn't you do right the first time? So it's just willing, uh, being willing to put in my research, being willing to put in the work, and knowing that I was taking the appropriate steps, not just guessing. That and I'm also a person of faith. So... In my case, I was very confident that this was what I was made to do. And I thought to myself, if this didn't go right the first time, aside from there being, let's say, an academic reason, I, I felt confident that it was just a matter of time. I thought maybe this was not the time I was meant to do this. Not everybody uh, believes in that, but that helped me a lot as well. That gave me a lot of motivation, I thought. I honestly think that it's just not my time and that I'm going to learn something very important in this year or in these two years that I'm not in medical school. And that did happen. I learned a lot about who I was as a person. I was able to support other people going through very difficult issues that I had gone through before. So in a way, I served as a friend or as a mentor in a way to some people that were going through very difficult times. So that gave me motivation, knowing that the time I was spending out of medical school had some purpose to it as well. So I thought, well, this is just a very important step I need to take before I become a physician. And I think I'll become a better doctor because of it. So 
as an example, the second time I didn't get in and I was waitlisted at six schools, I thought, okay, well, let's see what I could learn in the interim. And I worked as a college to career instructor for adults that have learning disabilities. Had I not had that experience, I would not know how to communicate well with patients that have disabilities. I know how to speak to them better. I know not to look at individuals that have autism in the eye. I know for what cues to look for, different body language. I'm more aware of different things. And that to me is a success. It's been one of my best experiences and I learned so much from it. So it's something I'm very grateful for. So overall, very long-winded answer, but knowing who I was, knowing that this was what I wanted to do, and looking at uh, each uh, time I didn't get in as something that had purpose to it, something I could do in the interim, time that I could take to learn, that motivated me. That's awesome. Turning, turning every obstacle and finding the silver lining and making the best of it. You've mentioned mm-hmm. a couple times exhausting resources and finding mentors. A lot of students struggle with that part, finding somebody that they can talk to and reach out to and get advice from. How did you find people to get answers from? Well, for one, uh, I, had a, I had a pre-health advisor at my undergraduate college. I went to Johns Hopkins. I kept in touch with him after I graduated. Anytime I had a question, I went to him right away. And if he had information about anyone that could assist me, he gave me, you know, any contact that I needed. In my post back, I did the same thing. I developed really great relationships with the people that wrote me letters. And anytime I had questions, they would give me advice as well. I also, uh, applied to different internships, I applied to different jobs. And through that, I was able to find mentors as well. So that's, I I tried every possible outlet. So my pre health advisor was the first and was the main. And if I saw some interesting research at a nearby hospital or at an institution, I tried that. Um, And I also looked online for reasons that students don't get into medical school. And I would look at who wrote that article. Um, where do they come from? Could this person answer possible questions? So I, I tried being creative as well. I, I tried the more obvious routes. And then in other cases, I thought, well, let me take a risk and see if this person is willing to get in touch with me. And if I had family that knew of anybody let's say friends that went to med school with them, if that was a possibility, I asked questions. It didn't always happen that I made these connections, but I just tried every possible thing I could think of. (laughs) That's good. Mm -hmm. You mentioned going and doing a post-bac. What were your reasons for doing a post-bac? I took a very close look at my first application, and I thought to myself, Realistically, this is not the most competitive GPA. I had about a 3.2, like a 3.14 in my sciences. The rest was really good, but I had a couple of dents in my GPA because I took on too much. And if that's one piece of advice I could give pre-meds, it's do not put too much on your plate. I think that's a type A personality tendency where you try to take too many credits at once, or you try to balance really difficult classes with extracurriculars, or you try to study for the MCAT when you're taking a very difficult class, I made those mistakes. I would honestly say, please, for those of you applying or you're considering pre-med, don't do that. (laughs) Uh, Know thyself and know how much you're able to balance. Uh, So those... Seeing the mistakes I had made, I, I thought to myself, because there's a dent in my GPA, I should show the med schools that I am able to handle a large academic course load of challenging classes. So that's why I did the post back and I spoke to a mentor about it. Uh, the lady that, whom I was working for at my public health internship was an MD and she said, do a post back. Oh, After looking at my application and seeking her advice, I thought this is the appropriate move to make. 
and I had seen other students do the same. So I thought rather than reinvent the wheel and apply with no changes, I thought the post-bac was the best option. So I did it and it helped. I had seven interviews, mm. but then... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll dive into what happened next. How did you, how did you find a post-bac to go to? How did you research those? Well, at first I did Google <laughs> and then... <laughs> I also went on to AAMC. They have a list of post-baccalaureate programs. Mm -hmm. And so they're organized by state or by, um, let's say, category of students. So there are the career changers, and then there's the academic enhancers, which I had to do. I had to show schools that I was able to get A's and some upper-level biologies that would be relevant for medical school. So when you look at a post-bac, there are those two tracks, academic enhancer, and there's the career changers whom have to take all of the pre-med requirements because they were not pre-med before. Um, uh, I found uh, UPenn on the AAMC website. I applied to several, but I felt that was the one that fit me best. And once I was accepted, I went. I had a few to choose from, but as I mentioned, I felt that that was the best fit for me. And how did you, you, you talked about having a lower GPA from Hopkins. Mm -hmm. What did you do differently in your post-bac to, to fix those? Or was it really just a matter of not doing as much? It was, it was a couple of things. So the first semester I was going, I was taking three classes, but I dropped one because I felt that I didn't do well on the first midterm. And part of it was learning how to study. It was a class that many people dropped. It was a difficult class, not so much in terms of topic, but it was a number of things. So I thought, I'm not going to take the risk with this class. So I focused on my other two and I got A's on both. They were very tough classes. I took immunobiology, which was very challenging. And I took neurodegenerative diseases. So the, I got A's in both. And then the second semester, I took four classes. And I did really well in all of them. They were very um, challenging, very dense in information. But I would say that what helped me was not putting too much on my plate. So I thought, I'm taking four classes. They're very dense in information. They were going to require a lot of work. I should not get involved in too many extracurriculars. So assessing very early on which classes were going to be a problem for me, which uh, what I should be doing, you know, outside of school, balancing that, that helped a lot. But what also helped was the fact that I had learned my learning modalities. I knew that I was heavily visual. I was very tactile. I had to ask a lot of questions. I'm not always very auditory. So knowing that I was probably not going to pick up very much during lecture but I was going to pick up more from images that helped me study a lot better. So what was different from college was how I balanced my classes and the fact that I knew how to study better. So that was different. How did you figure out the best way for you to study? Observing myself, if that makes sense. Uh, what calls my attention a lot are pictures. The way I remember things are through pictures. So once I made that connection, I realized if I apply this to the way I study and focus less on reading too much text, then I'll be more efficient with my time. So just uh, having people uh, like noticing what people said about me, like this may, this may come off as funny, but my mother, uh, what drives her crazy is that if somebody, uh, as a, let's say if she repeats the same thing five times, it won't stick. But if she writes it on a note, I'll remember because I see the note, for example. You know, she's very auditory, so she prefers to speak something to me. So I can be very attentive when somebody describes a story to me. But when it comes to instruction, that's a little different. So I have to connect what they're saying to a picture or they have to show me a picture. So once I made that connection, I thought I need to apply this to the way I study. So it's just uh, noticing those little things about myself. Good. That's good to know. 
And mm-hmm. I know a lot of a lot of students. That's always kind of first advice to students: is you need to figure out how you best learn, how you best study. So that's good to know. Yes. You applied your first time, didn't get in, mm-hmm. and you you talked about being a person of faith and kind of knowing that everything was going to be okay. But let's be honest: there had to be some doubt in there of maybe maybe. He or she, whatever, whoever you pray to, um, had different thoughts for you. How how do you go about getting rid of that doubt? Even even as a person of faith, there has to be doubt there. Uh, I'll confess that <laughs> <laughs> sounds funny. I'll say that the third time I applied, after I'd interviewed, when I prayed, I said. Uh, Honestly, I'm a little scared because I didn't get in the first two times and it's really difficult for me to see myself wearing the white coat right now. So I, I take a lot of comfort in praying, meditating. I write things down in journals. Um, and I have a lot of spiritual experiences. As I mentioned, not everybody believes in that, but I'm someone that does believe in it because I've gone through it. So after going through that, spending a lot of time in my prayer time, uh, my prayer closet or meditating a lot, I, I felt more certainty whenever I addressed those doubts that way. So that helped me a lot. Uh, as I mentioned, knowing myself, not seeing any sign or having any feeling that I was meant to do something else, that brought me a lot of comfort um, and a lot more uh, certainty. But there were times that I had to ask myself, is this a, really a closed door? But I had other, other situations that really made me feel certain that this was what I was meant to do. It was not academic. Like I said, it was more spiritual. So that's very personal. Um, but it was just little things here and there along the way, uh, instances in which I received money out of an unexpected resource to finish my post-bac program when I almost had to leave back to California because I didn't have the funds for it. Little things like that in which I was able to complete a program or I was able to take my test or I did better than expected. Those were like little positive reinforcements or signs to me saying, this is your thing. It's just going to happen in the time you need it to. Oh, that's the more personal side. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons that you didn't get into school the first time, or likely be- because you didn't get any interviews, was a poor MCAT. Talk about the mistakes that you made that many students make with with your MCAT prep. Yes. So when I took the MCAT the first time, I was taking biochemistry. And... So- So I was studying for the MCAT, taking biochemistry, and I was commuting from where I lived to UCLA by bus. So I was taking time to commute, and I was trying to balance a summer condensed biochem course with a condensed MCAT course. So I was putting too much on my plate. I was very exhausted. And uh, I'd say to the point that I didn't realize that my exam was moved one day earlier. It was sent to a different email, that information, so I never got it. I found out by word of mouth, like uh, like at 6 p.m. the night before the exam, and I still had to commute. So had I not been putting too much on my plate, I think I could have avoided that problem. I could have done much better. I That... Uh, Doing too much at the same time also put a dent in my GPA because I had been getting A's on my midterms, but then I didn't do well on the exam for biochemistry, and I ended up with a C- minus in the course. I could have gotten an A, but because I was sitting for the MCAT and commuting, I did poorly. So I should have done one thing at a time, and I'm sure I could have done much better, but that was my first mistake. Uh, doing too much all at once and not giving myself enough time to rest, I'd say was the issue. It sounds like a repeating theme in your life, putting too much on your plate. Yes, that was the problem. It's a very common pre-med thing, especially for students that are trying to 
fit things in on a timeline, trying to squeeze it all in, whether it's for financial purposes, maybe trying to only do three years of school versus four years of school for financial reasons, whatever yes. it may be. The The goal to take away from this, though, is even even though you may need to look at those finances, at the end, you need those grades, you need the MCAT score, and okay. you need all this other stuff too, So, but you can't cram it all in at the same time. It's hard. No. And people bring up debt sometimes, and I tell them, well, eventually you will have the income to pay it off. It'll take time, but I see it as an investment. I don't like seeing that I'm in debt by, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, or in some people's case more, but, you know, the way to see it is, you know, is it not worth it, you know, becoming a physician or achieving your lifetime goal, is that not worth it? What's worth more to you? Uh, and there are other steps that one can take to reduce the debt as much as possible, which I'm doing right now. I'm applying for scholarships, but uh, overall, I would say that that was my problem, uh, doing too much all at once, not giving myself enough time to rest. And one of my, actually, my pre-health advisor had advised me not to apply to med school right away. He said, Natalie, I think you should wait another year to study for the MCAT and then apply. But quite honestly, I was a bit younger, so I succumbed to some family pressure. They wanted me to apply right away. They expected me to apply right away. And I did, and it backfired. So I think a lot of students go through that issue as well. I've met some you know, that are hesitant to take a year off or even two years off because they say, oh, my parents are going to, they're, they're afraid that I'll forget or that I, they think I'll change my mind. I won't want to become a physician or I won't recall the information I learned in school and I will do poorly on the MCAT. These are some concerns that some students have that prevent them from taking the time off that they need and they cram that and some financial reasons. I'm not going to say it's, easy, but I think it's better to bite the bullet in that respect and work if you need to. I worked uh, during the time off I had, and I saved for my applications. I saved for mock interviews. I saved to have some cash, you know, for the first months that I started school. And it's been such a relief. Now I'm starting later, but I'm starting more comfortably because of it. And I'm much better prepared. I have more experience, you know, to relate to my patients. And I have more knowledge about myself that's going to help me study better. So while some older generations will feel uncomfortable, you know, if a child takes some time off, I would tell other students, it's tough, but try not to worry about it. Look at it this way. It's going to be harder if you don't get in and you don't prepare the best because you're going to have to do it all over again. So try to look at both possibilities. What What is best for you? What is more likely to happen? So be aware. In other words, don't listen to those old people. They don't know anything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I had to tell my parents once because my, my father had actually discouraged me from pursuing uh, the major I was pursuing. And it's actually one of the best things I ever did. He, he didn't understand. Um, I... I was a writing seminars major, so that's all screenplays, poetry, fiction, some nonfiction in there. But that was what I loved, and I thought eventually I'm going to make I'm going to be doing science all my life. So, what other skill can I have that's going to help me in the long run? What makes me stand out? And I thought I'll be a writer. And he told me that's not going to get you much out of college. And I said, well, my ultimate goal is med school, so. You could major in anything, but he would tell me you need straight A's and uh, you need to be a science major. And I said, no, you don't. And I said, I pretty much go to a pre-med factory. I mean, <laughs> Hopkins has a lot of pre-medical students. You're surrounded by physicians all the time, science professors and a lot of pre-meds. So I knew that I knew what I was talking about. But in some cultures, no matter how much you know, your parent always knows best. And 
I acknowledge that older generations have a lot of wisdom in many things, but sometimes as a child you or as a young adult, you know, you know that you know better than the older generation in some respects. So uh, that that's a bit of a challenge, but yeah. it's, you know, just got to bite the bullet and do what you need to do. It doesn't mean that you love your parents any less. It just means that they don't always have the answers. So do what's best for you. Your second application. So you, you applied the first time. You didn't get any interviews. You applied the second time and you got a bunch of interviews. Mm-hmm. What do you think went wrong with your second application from the point of having a lot of interviews to not getting any acceptances? I got in touch with three admissions committees that had interviewed me. One was from Dartmouth and one was from UC Irvine and then USC. So one of the reasons it was easy for me to get in touch with them was because I sent them thank you notes, some emails, some handwritten thank you notes. They were very grateful and they actually welcomed me to ask them any more questions. So that opened a door. And I used that opportunity to ask them, could you give me any, uh, could you uh, give me any answers possibly, or give me any suggestions for how to improve my application? Or could you tell me what might have gone wrong? And so a couple of them said, you had a 29 on your MCAT score. I think if you bring it up just a few more points or a couple more points, even you have a much better shot at getting in. They said you have a very strong application. That's really the weak spot. Uh, and uh, I spoke to some other resources. Uh, my mentor from my public health internship, she said, you should do mock interviews. And I had looked at other programs, other post programs. I compared them to mine. And the difference was that they pr- some provided mock interviews. And I thought, okay, well, let me look into this a bit more. And I saw that the students that had mock interviews had a much higher success rate. And I thought to myself, well, I had an idea of what I was going to say during the interview, but I did not have anyone to practice with. I did not have anyone giving me feedback. So I noticed that was, that was missing. So I thought I have the numbers. The MCAT was borderline, but honestly, I thought I know people that have gotten in with the 29 and below. So I thought really what was missing was the mock interview practice. So that was the major difference. That and I had worked with adults that had learning disabilities. I had that additional experience under my belt and I was volunteering at a hospital. But I had also been volunteering uh, before that when I had applied the second time. So I realized really the big difference was the mock interview preparation. That was missing. Did you ever walk out of an interview during your second round of applications? and? And think to, your, to yourself, like, oh, my gosh, did I really just say that out loud? Or, oh, my gosh, I was totally unprepared for that question. My first interview, I had a USC interview. And it, I'd say the most difficult part was getting started. You would think that this question is not so hard to answer, but it is if you don't think about it ahead of time. The infamous, tell me about yourself <laughs> question. <laughs> I, I had a very rough start with that question. And I'd say that the first minute, even the first 15 seconds, really determines how the rest of the interview will go. And I, I would think that the interviewer knows right away whether or not they're going to give you a positive review. So I did walk out of... At, my first interview, at least, thinking, oh, my goodness, that was horrible. <laughs> at least the first part was horrible. After that, it went a bit smoothly. Some interviewers have a way of making you feel more comfortable, but it doesn't guarantee that they're going to write you a positive review. So I-, I did have that moment at least once. After your, your second application, you didn't get any acceptances you looked into mock interviews and you ended up finding me and working with me. 
what was it about going through the mock interviews that you think ultimately paid off the most for you? I'm just thinking about that. It's a number of things. But I would say knowing that a professional helped me, someone who is a doctor who had gone through med school and had experience interviewing, and I knew that you specifically were going to give me very difficult questions, I thought, okay, if I can go through interviews with Ryan Gray, I could go through interviews with anyone else who's going to interview me. So I, knowing that I was going to be more prepared, that I had thought of every possible question I could think of, and that I had rehearsed it with an experienced professional, that gave me a lot of comfort. So also practicing four different types of interviews, that made me more comfortable too. I had gone through multiple mini interviews before, but like, let's say when I interviewed uh, in one school in the Midwest, they did a one, two one-to-one interviews and they did an MMI. So that's a lot for one day, but I was not stressed because I thought, okay, I've done this before. Take each question as a challenge. If I need to pause, think about it and tell the interviewer that you need to think about it. That I learned from the mock interviews here with you. Little things like that prepared me and made me more calm and composed. And it made me more able to handle the stress of interview day. But I was not even as stressed because I thought to myself, I feel much more articulate because I've practiced and someone has given me amazing tips. So I I walked into my first interview. I was a little nervous, but I was, I was also calm. If, if that makes any sense, there's that little bit of anxiety because it's your first interview and you want to get into medical school, but you're also confident. So I, I felt both of those things at the same time. But before the mock interviews, I did not feel that way. I was nervous at every interview. I'm almost 100% sure that you received questions on your interview days that we didn't cover in the mock interviews. And a common mistake that some students make is they think that they need to be able to answer every question. And I think from what you're saying is it's it was really the the confidence in articulating and thinking and everything else that gave you the most ability to perform well. It did. Uh, I actually received some very difficult questions, particularly during some of the MMIs. Uh, One we had actually practiced together, but what really helped was one piece of advice you gave us in your pre-med playbook. And you told us read, read a lot, read a lot of healthcare magazines. And I was up to date. And one of the questions that one of my MMI interviewers asked me was about the death penalty. No, not the death penalty. It was um, euthanasia. And I had read an article about that. And I was able to give him a very good answer, not to put myself on a pedestal, but it was because I followed that advice and I had been reading about such topics that I was able to give a very well-informed answer and give him my stance on it, sticking to my beliefs about it. Now, there were other parts of the question that I had very, uh, I had a lot of trouble answering. He asked me to uh, create something like a budget Or he asked me, do you think doctors should be uh, consulting uh, politicians? Something along those lines. And I asked him to give me a moment to think. Rather than just staring at him blankly or fidgeting, I already knew, okay, I need time to answer this. I'll just ask him for some time. So that that gave me some time to collect my thoughts. But had I not read the book or had I not interviewed with you, I probably would have uh, shown some nervous tick. <laughs> so that that made a big difference. And whenever I didn't know something, I told, you know, the interviewer, I'm not sure honestly, 
but I think, you know, this may work. So being honest and telling them, I'm not sure, I don't have all the answers, but this is what I think, or this may be a possibility. I think that helped a lot too, knowing that you're not always going to have the answers. Yeah. And as, as an interviewer, we, we know when you don't have the answers and you're trying to fake it, just tell us you don't know. That's okay to say you don't know, but here's what I think exactly as you did it. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's perfect. So Natalie, what was the final tally of, of acceptances on this third application cycle? Okay. I had 15 interview offers, but I only went to 10. Um, and I had six acceptances and the rest were wait lists. That's, that's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was really grateful. Um, I, I don't know what the, you know, why I was waitlisted at the other schools. It could have been my MCAT. I'm not sure. But overall, I was really grateful. And I saw this as a very, very great application cycle. And I can honestly say that aside from the post back and my work experience, what made the difference this time was the fact that I had done four mock interviews. And I reviewed them each time. And I was also staying very well informed. So that helped me give some very articulate answers and some very applicable answers to the current issues at hand. So I went in more prepared, more articulate, and uh, more knowledgeable. So that made the world of difference. How did you narrow down from six acceptances to ultimately where you decided to start school? Uh, After each interview, I wrote down a very detailed description in bullet points or an outline of what I really liked about each school and what I disliked. And I ranked each school. I I gave it a score. Uh, It was down to three schools for me. All three schools had a 9.1 out of 10 for me. So schools that had below that, I thought, okay, this is not going to work. And then I also looked into financial aid. So That helped me a lot because I thought after this many interviews, I may forget very important facts, very important feelings during each interview, um, different programs offered at each school. So I kept note of everything. I thought I'm probably going to end up liking each school. There may be a few I don't connect with as much, but I didn't want to feel uh, uncertain or stressed about choosing between uh, that many schools. So ranking them and writing down what I liked and what I disliked really helped me. And then when it came to my final decision, financial aid played a role, but then I tried to put myself in a position, uh, a hypothetical position thinking, if I went to this school, would I be thinking, what if I had gone to the other one? Ultimately, what is gonna make me happy Where do I want to match for residency? Do I want to stay in California or do I want to go out of state or do I want to be more flexible? So I thought of that and I looked into match lists as well. I thought, do the individuals at this school seem to have uh, an ongoing trend of staying in that state or do they branch out everywhere? So I looked at that financial aid, match lists, and a ranking of the schools with details of what I liked and disliked. That helped me narrow down my decision a lot. And now you are going to where? I'm going to the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor. That's awesome. Great school. Are you going to go to football games? I plan on it. (laughs) (laughs) When you have time. Yes. Well, as a Florida Gator, I don't know if you know this, but Michigan and Florida are playing the first football game this upcoming college season. So we'll we'll be on opposite ends. Uh, but beyond that, I'll be rooting for you um, <laughs> as you progress through your medical school career. What are your aspirations in the future? What do you hope to do? Well, what I do know is that I want to work with underserved populations I'm considering getting a master's in public health, but I'm also very flexible because I know that I'm going to find other things that I like. So 
So I'm allowing myself to take a look at different things in terms of specialty. I don't want to pigeonhole myself just yet into anything. Uh, I'm a very curious person, so I think I'll make my decision the third year. Uh, I do like the idea of working with my hands, and I have scrubbed into surgeries, and I remember coming out of each one elated. So that interests me a lot. But I don't know what kind uh, I'd like to pursue yet. So right now, I'm really in the mindset of exploration. I only know that I want to work with uh, medically disadvantaged communities. But other than that, uh, it's very open for me. Uh, I'm actually uh, starting school early because uh, Michigan has a program for students that are interested in health equity. So I will be doing that and getting a jump start in anatomy and histology, and I'll be connected to mentors. So that's great. Yeah, it's, it's really great. I'm, I'm really grateful. Natalie, for a listener right now who's listening to this, who maybe has gone through an application cycle or two, or maybe has a similar upbringing um, that you have had and is doubting themselves or doubting the process, what would you say to motivate them to, to continue down this path? I would say that I've talked to several people and they say that if they had not gotten in the first time that they would be so discouraged and they probably would not reapply. Um, saying here, I've applied three times. And I had to wait two years each time to reapply because I had to improve my application. Now, in my case, I had made a big mistake the first time because I had not prepared adequately and I was rushing. So if that is you, then take the time to prepare the way you need to, even if you have to wait a year or two to get your finances in check or get your academics in check. It's a year or it's two years, that's not going to put a really big dent at all when you look at the grand scheme of things. Now, there are resources out there. Look into the AAMC. Look at postbacks. I know it can be expensive, but you're going to take out uh, loans or scholarships for med school also. It's an investment. Try to see it that way. And if you're someone who did have a somewhat successful cycle and you had interviews and something went wrong and you have to reapply, you may feel like you've exhausted everything because you gave it your best. Now there's always room for improvement. So don't feel so hopeless. Just try to be very real with yourself and ask yourself, what could have been better? Or what did I do? So you have to be very honest with yourself and you have to be very humble as well. Uh, I think with a lot of um, type A personalities that are very successful up until this point, it's very easy to assume that you've done the absolute best and that you made no mistakes. Chances are you made a mistake. So you have to, as I said, humble yourself and be honest and address that issue. Um, in my case, I had to sacrifice and I had to pay a little more uh, for, let's say, mock interviews, but it is a very great investment. So look into the grand scheme of things, as I said. Is this worth it? Then do it. Um, but do not be discouraged because there are resources out there that you probably have not tried. So look into that. Be curious. Seek out help from your pre-med advisors. Please, I'm telling you, do not ignore your pre-med advisors. Listen to them. On some occasions, you may have to take the advice with a grain of salt, but do not make the mistake I made ignoring my advisor the first time I didn't even get any interviews. I had to apply three times instead of twice. So, as I said, don't be discouraged. Take things one step at a time, knowing that you could get to your final destination. It just takes us um, a little more time than we want or expect, especially if you're coming from a very disadvantaged background and you have limited finances or you don't have mentors, you don't have family that has gone to medical school, much less even graduated high school. But it's possible. Just don't let any negativity consume you. Just, you know, do your absolute best and keep on pushing. 
All right, there you have it, Natalie Moreno. She is in the Hangout. So if you have any questions for her, ask. Go to medicalschoolhq.net slash Facebook. She'll be in the Hangout. She will, as much as she can, contribute to that community. She's a medical student now, so expect her time to be taken up with medical student things. But if you want to seek some advice from her, she'll be in the Hangout. So come join the Hangout, medicalschoolhq.net slash group. Now you heard Natalie talk about how she went through mock interviews with me. As we're releasing this, it's the beginning of July of 2017. I am starting to get filled up with mock interview requests. If you have been thinking about doing mock interviews with me, it's not too late. Go to medicalschoolhq.net slash interview prep. That will take you to the page where you can sign up for mock interviews with me. Now, you heard Natalie talk about doing four sessions with me. We did an open interview, a closed interview, an MMI, and then a mix of whatever else um, she needed some help with. And that's the typical setup that I do for most students. So if that's what you're thinking, go sign up, medicalschoolhq.net slash interview prep. Now, if you go and you check it out and you, and you look at it and go, I would love to have some interview prep, but I can't afford it. I completely understand. Go check out our new, brand new, our, our new brand new mock interview platform. You can check that out at medicalschoolhq.net slash interview platform. That'll take you to a page where you can sign up to be notified when we launch that and where you can sign up, when you can sign up to actually be part of that platform. Right now, I gave away a month of that for students who pre-ordered my book, um, but I will soon make that available for other people as well. All right. If you have any questions, you can shoot me an email, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. I'd love for you to share this podcast with your friends and family members and advisors and whoever else needs some encouragement on their journey to medical school. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here at the Pre-Med Years Podcast.